We're in week three of our series on the Apostles' Creed, and just a bit of review on this. What is the Apostles' Creed? If you're just joining us, maybe you're tuning in via live stream, the Apostles' Creed is a rich biblical summary of our faith. That's what it is. And the creed, as we've talked about, was used to help educate and prepare and form new Christians. So they would work through a creed like this for a year or more so that when it came time to be baptized, they had a grounding in the biblical faith. The creed also, we haven't talked about this that much, but the creed actually helps us discern what's true and what's not true. So the Apostles' Creed, we said, has been used for about 1,800 years. And really, the first 200 years, the creed helped with some of the early Christian heritage. Musical mics, it's all good, right? There we go. Does that sound good? Can you hear me? Okay. So this creed helps, it's like a litmus test. So if we know these things here, it helps us discern what may not be true, what may not be in Scripture. And that'll make a little more sense in a few minutes. But we've looked at, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And we talked about God being Father to all of us by creation, but to Christians by redemption. We looked at creator of heaven and earth. Then Connie last week talked about Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Talked about Jesus being the sent Messiah, the anointed one. Talked about how the incarnation of Jesus changed everything. She gave the beautiful illustration of Jesus coming to our city, our planet, and elevating, rescuing, saving, and restoring So what we want to do today, we want to look at the next phrase there, and hopefully you have one of these handouts. You've got the the creed handout here, and then we've got another little half-page blue handout, and if you don't have it, you can grab one. We've got stations set up here behind the curves and different places. And what I want us to do, I want us to ponder this phrase and three or four key words. So if you look at the creed, I'm going to read this part. I'm going to read this kind of to review, but I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. This is what we're going to look at today. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. So I want us to look at these words, suffered, crucified, died, buried. These are incredibly powerful kingdom words. These words cause controversy. Just think about that. People like to hear about the love of God. People like to hear about how kind and gracious God is. But when you start talking about the cross, the idea that the Lord was crucified. That shifts the conversation, doesn't it? Oftentimes. It did in the ancient church, and it does now. It can make people bristle. 
you start talking about, I am a person of the cross. I believe in Christ crucified. People might look askance at you. Might make things uncomfortable, but friends, maybe it's time to get uncomfortable. Maybe it's time to rediscover and experience some fresh boldness on what it means to be people of the cross. And so my whole point this morning is for us to hold up the crucified Jesus, to look at him through text and the scripture, and to leave with new boldness and a new spirit of worship and appreciation for the cross of Jesus, for what he did through his death, through his crucifixion. Now, I, I also, I want to stretch our thinking a little bit because oftentimes we just go to the same images or same words when we talk about the cross. And so, I want to expand our thinking about this. I want to deepen our worship and broaden our horizons when it comes to thinking about the suffering and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. So, let's look at this first phrase here. The first thing we're looking at is that phrase, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. You might wonder, why is there no mention of anything else? It almost skips over the entire life and ministry of Jesus. Maybe you've thought of that before, maybe even in recent weeks. Look at it, the creed. It just goes from his conception to his suffering. Now, the scriptures teach, though, the word suffering encapsulates all of Jesus' life. Luke 24, 26 says this. You can look it up in your Bible, have it up here on a slide. The word suffering encompasses the entire life of the Lord Jesus. In Luke 24, he's talking with a couple of disciples, and he's asking them, was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer all of these things? The book of Acts, Acts 17, says the same thing. It was necessary for the Messiah to suffer. Hebrews 2.18 says the same thing. He suffered. And so when we say that, Jesus suffered, it encompasses all of his life, all of his struggles. One of the early church fathers who actually would have used this creed and been part of transmitting it to other people. Listen to what he says. He says, through the incarnation of Jesus and his life of suffering, Christ experienced all the stages of our life, securing for us a shortcut to salvation and granting communion with God to all people. So when we talk about the suffering of Jesus, it's all that he was, all that he did. He can sympathize with us. His healing ministry, everything flowed out of his willingness to suffer in love, to step inside the shoes, the skin of another person in compassion to suffer with them. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. It's hilarious. One theologian says, this is like having a dirty dog in a nice room. Here we have this beautiful statement of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and there's this dirty dog that's in there for all time named Pontius Pilate. Why in the world would he be there? Have you ever thought of that? Why, it mentions Pontius Pilate. Why not remove him from the whole picture? 
but there he is. I'll tell you why. There's multiple reasons, but one is that this anchors the whole creed and the life of Jesus in historical truth and fact. It mentions him because he also was a living person in secular history. So he's there to root the whole creed in historical fact. Now for centuries, you know, a couple thousand years, we did not have archaeological evidence that Pontius Pilate even existed. In 1961, they discovered a stone, and I want you to see it up there if you can project that. It's called the Pilate Stone. It's rather difficult to see, but basically on this stone which they discovered, it mentions the historical person Pontius Pilate, and this temple, this building was dedicated to him. And so in the creed, when it says he suffered under Pontius Pilate, it's anchoring his entire life in history. And we have archaeological evidence that this person actually existed. Dirty dog that he was, arch villain that he was, he's still there nonetheless. You know what it also suggests is that this was a public event. We're going to look at this in just a moment. Crucifixion, suffering, was a public event. It wasn't, this is not something that happened off in a cave somewhere remotely. This was a historical event that's documented and very public. Let's look at the next phrase here. He was crucified. Not only did he suffer under Pontius Pilate, this arch-villain, He was crucified. Now, I'm going to use three words here to help us think about the crucifixion. The first is humiliation. And if you'll bear with me a minute, again, my whole point this morning is to broaden your horizons of what this creed is saying, affirming and echoing what's in Scripture, maybe even causing us for a moment to think about something that might be familiar to us. And so I want to disrupt a little bit. I want us to be shaken a little bit and think about the seriousness of the fact of the crucifixion. It was utterly humiliating, friends. It was a gruesome, torturous method of killing someone. Now, contemporary views of the cross are oftentimes sterilized. It's deficient. We've got a cross up here. And in the ancient world, it was like an electric chair, but worse. And oftentimes, we've just kind of popularized and scrubbed away the stigma of the cross. And so what I want us to do is think about the stigma. Think about the scandal of the cross. This was an ancient practice that the Romans would use to strike fear in people and to punish criminal behavior. Basically, if they put someone on a cross, they were saying, this is what we do to troublemakers. Don't give us any trouble. Fall in line. And this was the instrument that was used to kill our Lord. A Roman philosopher named Cicero says this, this is the most cruel and terrifying penalty ever devised. I mentioned it was a public spectacle. Those of you that have seen The Passion of the Christ or maybe other portrayals, the victim was stripped naked, pinned to the cross, left half dead, 
there was prolonged suffering, it gets pretty gruesome. Flies would be attracted. The person on the cross could do nothing about it. And my point is not to get so gruesome, but I want you to hear a little bit and think about the seriousness of this. The love of Jesus, the willingness of the Lord of the universe to go and allow himself to undergo something like this at the hands of people that he had been involved in creating. I put up another slide. It was early graffiti a couple of hundred years after the crucifixion of Christ. Some archaeologists, we've discovered this. If you look up here, it's crucifixion graffiti, and basically it's Christ on the cross portrayed blasphemously. He's got a donkey head on him. And so this ancient graffiti artist was making fun and mocking Christ and basically saying through this how scandalous it was. And the words basically are saying Alexamenos, who's the person there worshiping Christ on the cross, is worshiping his God. Friends, it was scandalous. Jesus died a criminal's death. It was Rome that put him to death. It was a first century lynching, as one black theologian calls it. Now it makes a little more sense when the Apostle Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about the foolishness of the cross. Do you see it? Paul came with this message to this hip metropolitan city called Corinth, and he was preaching Christ crucified, and people said, you're crazy. God could not do this. The Son of God could not do this. This is absolutely tragic and foolishness. And Paul says, nah, you don't understand. In the cross, in death, in weakness, in absolute self-sacrifice and self-surrender, the glory and power of God is revealed. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says that the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Christ's crucifixion, his death on the cross, is the centerpiece of the Christian faith. One commentator says this, if theology is to be Christian, then it can only be a theology which understands the unsurpassable scandal of the cross. This is what separates us from all other religious traditions, including Islam. If you study Islam, the cross is so offensive, isn't it, Ben, that Christ, a prophet, could not have died on the cross. Instead, Judas was placed on the cross. That is how the Quran portrays this moment. It is utterly scandalous that the Lord of the universe would come in a human body and die on the cross. So it's humiliating. But friends, it's also salvation. Along with humiliation, it is the very heart of the gospel. Is it not? Christ crucified is the heart of the gospel. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes when we look at 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ died for us according to the scriptures. It was an act of extravagant love for sinful people 
broken people like us, like the very ones that crucified him. It is the essence of salvation. A third thing about the crucifixion, I believe in Christ crucified is formation. So when you ponder and reflect on the biblical reality that Christ died for us, it affects the way that we live. It affects who we are. It subverts and inverts our whole system of doing things. We'll see in a few minutes that Paul says, have this mind in you that Christ Jesus had in Philippians 2. The same willingness to suffer, to give himself, to love to the point of death. What's the next phrase say here in the Apostles' Creed? He was crucified. He died. Christ's death is the turning point of human history. What I want to do is take a moment here. If you've got this blue handout here, look at it. We're not going to go over all of it. We're just going to pick a couple of things here. Again, my goal this morning is to help us look afresh at the depth and breadth of the death of Jesus. And so you can see there at the top of this little blue handout here, and if you don't have one, you can grab one or look on with someone else. This is essentially six different ways to view the death of Jesus that are found in Scripture. There's about 15, actually. And normally, as evangelical Protestants, we go straight to the last one, don't we? Look at that, number six. The idea of substitution. We're looking at the atonement. Basically, the at one All that Christ died to make us one with God in love. And so these are different views. All of these are found in Scripture. But we oftentimes go here, don't we? Number six, Jesus died as our representative and substitute, and he takes away the penalty for sin. You can find numerous places in Scripture that talk about that. John Calvin was a big proponent. But friends, that is one aspect of the cross. The mystery of the cross has endless depth, endless facets to it, multi-dimensions. And so if that's all we do is present that one view, Christ died so that we didn't have to, he was our representative. That is beautiful and glorious, but friends, there are many, many others. The scriptures teach it's like a kaleidoscope. When Christ died, it's one of the greatest mysteries in human history. And so the scriptures teach others. I want to look at one more. Look at the top here. It's a big word, recapitulation. Let's say that, recapitulation, recapitulation. Again, this is found in many scriptures, but one in particular is Romans 5. So why don't you look in your Bible, Romans 5, 18 to 19, teaches this. What happened through the death of Jesus? What was going on? Not only was it substitution, him bringing us into oneness and peace and reconciliation with the Father, but the Apostle Paul talks about this as well. Romans 5, 
18 and 19, Paul is explaining, he's unfurling the gospel. The word made flesh, what happened in his life, what happened in his death. And look at what Paul says. Therefore, just as one man's trespass, and he's talking about the first Adam, literal Adam, this led to condemnation for all. So one man's act of righteousness, the new Adam, leads to justification and life for all. Look at verse 19. Just as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man, Jesus, his obedience, the many will be made righteous. So Paul is saying here, in the person of Jesus, in his life, and the climax of his life with his death, Christ is replaying and reliving the entire story of Adam and the human race. But unlike Adam, he's obedient and restores us. Do you see it? So when we celebrate Christ crucified, we're saying through his death, in some beautiful, mystical, glorious way, he restores us. Yes, he stands in our stead, but he's also restoring what it means to be human, bringing dignity that we lost. Friends, this is awesome. One other one I want to talk about here, number three, Christ's death means victory and triumph over Satan and evil and sin and demons and disease. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 15. 55 and through 57. Again, we're just looking at the wonder, the mystery, the depth of the death of Jesus that's affirmed in this creed. What I'm hoping is when we say that, I believe in Christ crucified, it takes on new meaning for all of us. It means victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. Again, the Apostle Paul is reflecting on the death of Jesus. He's quoting from the Old Testament, but look, he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. He says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But look at verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Christ is crucified, it means the victory over sin, the victory over death itself. It ensures that one day believers will be raised from the dead like he is. And we're going to look at this later as we explore the creed. Are you seeing some new facets here? How about one more? Let's do one more. This is one that often gets overlooked. Number five here, the exemplar. Means that Christ's death is an example of love for believers to imitate. First Peter 2, 21. You can look at it in your Bible there. First Peter 2, 2, 21. The apostle Peter is saying, for to this you have been called He's addressing the Christians in Rome, and he's saying, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. 
So his willingness in love, in compassion, in humility to go and die, to be crucified, leaves us an example. Now this could be heavy. Go and live a crucified life. Could be heavy stuff. Paul says that though in Galatians 2.20. He loves this so much. The mystery of Christ crucified. Says I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ in me. So I think the Lord wants us to view the crucifixion in new ways. And to realize there is incredible power in the crucifixion. And then he comes and lives his life out through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. The last word here in the creed, he was buried. We'll end with this. The creed is saying he was literally put to death on the cross and buried in a tomb. As you read scripture, you can see some of the false stories that were circulating. Even then, people were saying, you know what? He really wasn't fully dead. They took him off the cross and resuscitated him. They put him in a tomb. He got his breath back. And so when he came out of the tomb, some of you are going, uh-uh. That's not right, is it? He somehow resuscitated after a few days of being crucified pierced in the side. And so the creed is affirming clearly that Christ died. He died a physical, public death. And he was literally buried. Look at Matthew 27. It talks about this beautiful moment where a believer named Joseph of Arimathea takes the body of Jesus. Matthew 27, 57 through 60. He was buried. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. He was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate, the dirty dog, and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. So Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. He then rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and went away. So for the early church, the day of his burial became Holy Saturday, and we're going to be talking about that. It's the day between his death on Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. It's called Holy Saturday. And because Christ is infinitely powerful, things are going on even in his death. We sang about this this morning, and some of you may have been scratching your head. He descended into hell? What is that? We're going to talk about it. It's actually, there's some mistranslation there. It's basically saying he descended to the place of the dead like everyone else. And Scripture talks about it. It's rather cryptic and puzzling, but that's what we're going to look at next week. What is happening on Holy Saturday when Christ descends to the dead? So friends, I hope that as we work through this that you 
your interactions with your kids, with others, we're discovering who we are in new ways. We are people of the cross. We follow the crucified Jesus. We embrace it fully. We don't water it down. We don't dilute it. We are people of the cross. In all of its scandal, in order to be New Testament Christians, we immerse ourselves in the truth, in the reality. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. And friends, I'm finding in this season some of the greatest joy in the fact that he was crucified and the fact that he calls me to live a crucified life. This has been very difficult for years trying to figure out how can there be joy in this? There is. There is great joy in following the crucified Jesus. And friends, it's what we celebrate here every Sunday. We're getting ready to take communion, but even as we have ministry time, that is made possible because of the death, the crucifixion of Jesus that gives us power over sickness, over sin, over disease. So Lord, we do. We thank you and we affirm today that we believe that you were the glorious one who suffered under Pontius Pilate. Lord Jesus, you were crucified. You died. And you were buried. We believe, Lord. We're all in. This is who we are. We live for you. As we do here, we haven't done communion in a while. You ready for communion? Yes. Hopefully you didn't sit on one, as Brad said. If you did, we'll pay your dry cleaning. But we were trying to think of the most efficient and safest way to do communion. So maybe if you're at home, you can grab some bread or a cracker, some juice or wine. We're going to celebrate the suffering, the crucifixion, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we typically read from 1 Corinthians 11 at verse 23, the Apostle Paul instituting the Lord's Supper in the first century church. You can get your wafer ready there. Two layers, says Wallace. That's right. So you peel off the top layer to get your wafer And these wafers are meant to be dissolved in your mouth, actually. So if you try to chew it, it might seem a little peculiar. It's meant to rest on your tongue, and you can dissolve it or chew it, either one. This is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Lord Jesus, we do, we look to you, we remember you. We celebrate your broken body. So let's take this together.